This fall, we were having a lot of problems with hitting in our house. And I don't want to say who, but it wasn't Rochelle or me. (laughs) A case in point was when we took Nola to the park with a friend and her daughter. We tried to get a picture of the two girls because when you're friends, you want your kids to be friends. And as we got ready to take the shot, Nola just shoved the girl out of nowhere. Our friend's kids started crying, and Nola told her, you're okay. That became kind of a pattern. She'd hurt a kid and then tell them, you're okay, which is problematic. She was doing it with us, too, hitting me and telling me I'm okay. You're not mad, Daddy. You're happy. We kept trying to teach her, when you hurt someone, it's not yours to tell them that they're okay. It's yours to say, I'm sorry. We were trying, we are trying to teach her the rules of this whole reconciliation thing. And even though the hitting has calmed down some, we still have opportunities to practice almost every day. On tough days, several opportunities. She does something she's not supposed to. She sits on the timeout stair crying. I come back a few minutes later and ask her what she did. Sometimes she knows, sometimes she just says, I hit you, because she figures there's a better than 50% chance it's true. (laughs) And now, after a couple of years of rehearsing it, she knows at that point to say, I'm sorry, Daddy. And then she reaches out for a hug, and I give it to her, and I tell her I forgive her. And the truth is, it's all kind of ridiculous. I mean, it's not a real apology. For starters, as the person who's been hit, I have to start the whole thing off. I have to prompt her to tell me what she did, and half the time she doesn't even remember, and I have to feed her that line too. And then I ask her something like, do we hit people? And she says no, even though we both know that for one of us it's not true. And then she gives me another line, which I have insisted she say in this situation, the meaning of which in her mind is probably, I'm going to go get up and play now. And she gives me a hug because she knows I like a hug, and we stand up and we go play, both knowing that we'll be back sitting on these steps again before the day is over. It's ridiculous. I would never let another adult get away with doing it this way if they hurt me when they hurt me. I would insist that they instigate the apology, that they understand and articulate exactly what they did, that they offer no excuses or justifications, that they request nothing from me and come with no ulterior motive. And if there was going to be a hug at the end, it better be me to initiate it. They shouldn't presume. And either way, I'm definitely not walking into the next room and playing Candyland with them, which is a game that I hate. (laughs) I'm much more exacting about the rules and much less forgiving with adults. So what lesson am I teaching Nola with our little ritual? that she just gets forgiven as soon as she turns from her bad behavior, that my love for her trumps her understanding what she's done wrong or being held truly accountable, that she can just be super problematic in ways she doesn't fully get but still knows are wrong, 
and then give a rehearsed apology that's based in her own self-interest, and I will just hug her and let it go and go head to King Candy's castle for a party. Yes, basically. Jesus gets dinged for partying with sinners. There's a story, or several stories actually, where the religious people in the community, the rule followers, point it out. He welcomes and eats with sinners. And as a progressive Christian, I always kind of think of those sinners as like misunderstood rebels. You know, like not, not people who really did anything wrong, but just people that aren't accepted by the mainstream by the powers that be. I always see them as basically people like me, which I wrote and then realized means I see myself as a misunderstood rebel, which might not be totally true. (laughs) But anyway, I always see those, those sinners as people that I would eat with too. But that's not the point of that story. The point of the story is that Jesus hangs out with problematic people. People that, as a rule-following, religious type, I would find problematic. And not just the cute four-year-old who is maybe becoming a bully problematic, actually problematic. People who are known for being terrible, the kind of people you wouldn't eat with. Or I wouldn't. That's what the story is about. And Jesus does eat with them. It's upsetting. And more upsetting, when he gets called out on it, he says that God is more excited about one of these problematic people who turns from being problematic than 99 who weren't problematic to begin with. More invested in one person on the timeout step than 99 of us who always use gentle hands. So he tells this story about it. It was a father with two sons, and one of them came to him and said, I want to get out of here. I'm not going to work on the family farm. I just want to take my inheritance and start a life somewhere else. So his dad, heartbroken, liquidates half of everything he owns and gives it to his kid. And the kid immediately leaves and blows it all fast until he's broke. And when he spent everything, a famine hits the place he's living in, and he's starving. So he gets a job feeding pigs on someone else's farm. And he's so hungry that he daydreams about eating the pig food. Until finally he says to himself, I should just go back home. At least there's not a famine there. I can tell my dad, I screwed up. With you and with God, I don't expect you to treat me like a son anymore, but you hire me to work. And that's what he does. He heads back home, walking road on road, practicing his speech for his father. I don't expect you to treat me as your son anymore. But then he turns down the road that leads to his house, and while he's still a long way away, his dad recognizes him. Just a blip on the horizon, but you know your kid. 
And the story says his dad saw him and was moved with compassion, and he ran to him, hugged him, and kissed him, and his son gives that speech that he had rehearsed, ending it with, I don't deserve to be your son. His dad ignores him. He descends for fancy clothes and an expensive ring and starts to prepare a feast for his hungry child and a party all night. And if you grew up in the church, maybe that all sounds like a beautiful reflection of God's love to you. But if you didn't, maybe you can hear that it's kind of ridiculous. If you've ever been hurt by a family member, maybe you can hear how unacceptable it is. You blow up our family, you take off with no way to contact you, you waste half of everything our parents have built, and then you come back because you're hungry? That's the only reason you realized you were wrong because you ran out of cash, and Dad just runs out to greet you before you even apologize. He barely listens to what you have to say and starts throwing you a party. Those are the thoughts of the older brother who decides not to go to this reunion, who thinks there's a lot more work to happen before they're all happy family again, before it's time for that party The older brother stays out in the field, not ready to let it go, stays out in the field where he's been working all day, where he's been working every day since before his other brother took off. He stays out enumerating all the steps that still haven't been taken, measuring the distance that remains to real restoration, how far his brother still needs to go to make things right. And he's not wrong. If you search for the steps for a real apology, you find a lot of lists. Psychology Today offers the very simple three essential pieces of an effective apology. Huffington Post one-ups them with four steps to a sincere apology. A lot of people offer five. Finally, Psychology Today comes up over the top with nine rules for true apologies. Every one of them says, without doing all of these steps, someone hasn't actually apologized, and they shouldn't actually be forgiven. Many of them add that even if they do all of the steps, you don't have to forgive them. You don't owe them forgiveness. And of course, that's true. There are so many ways to get it wrong, and some folks say there are no ways to get it right. There's really no way to give a full apology, that no matter what the offender does, they can never close the gap that they've created, never totally cover that distance, never bring things back to the way they were. Some people have started to ask whether forgiveness is even a healthy thing to do or to work toward. Is it good for us? Or should we stop doing it because it always ends up asking the ones who have been harmed to finally close the gap? It puts the onus on them to run out on the road and make things right. Some people say that forgiveness at its core is unfair. 
upsetting. They say that forgiveness itself is unjust. And I think Jesus says that's exactly right. Forgiveness is unjust, definitionally. Forgiveness is when God chooses mercy instead of justice. Forgiveness is when God chooses to forgo the right thing for the loving thing. Which basically means that God does wrong, which is a little confusing, and some theologians get around it by saying, God can never be unjust. God is God, and whatever God does is just. That's what defines justice. Even if it looks wrong. That's what theologians say, but you and I know that's ridiculous. Jesus says God is like a parent who runs out to their kid before any word can be said. A parent who forgives them at the least sign of turning whose love trumps their lack of understanding about what they've done and even their really being held accountable. A parent who allows them to do something they know is wrong and offer a rehearsed apology that's based in their own self-interest and embraces them, throws them a party. That's who Jesus says God is. And Jesus gathers a community that tries to live in the same way. He welcomes and eats with them. He celebrates with them. It's unfair, it's not right, and I'm tempted here at the very end to start offering some caveats about what that does and doesn't mean for us. And I do have a long list of caveats. But right now, I'm just going to leave it there. That forgiveness is unjust, unacceptable, problematic. Until, of course, you're the one coming home broke and hungry. Until you're the one crying on the stairs.